from WAMU 88.5. This is Metropocalypse. I'm Martin DeCaro at Fort Totten Station, the start of the Red Line shutdown. Happy Halloween, everyone. You want to hear something really scary? Higher fares, less service, longer waits for trains, 14 bus routes beheaded. We'll take a peek inside the house of horrors that is the Metro budget proposal. Plus, electricity coursing through the veins of Metro Rail, sparking our curiosity as we embark on this high voltage episode. Shocks to the system, it's Metro the DC Metro uh, historically has been a great strength of this region. Customers should expect extended delays in crowded conditions on trains and platforms. We see the cars, but we don't see the rail yards. We don't see the electricity. And those things are just as important as the cars. If you don't have a place to put them and you don't have the power to move them, then those cars don't really do you any good. We're coming to you from the Red Line platform. We have a jam-packed episode for you this week. We're going to explain the lifeblood of Metro Rail, electricity. We're also going to join the commuting zombies without their coffee converging on Fort Totten on this Monday morning so we can navigate safe track surge number 10, the Red Line shutdown between Fort Totten and Noma with buses replacing trains. But first, a major story broke over the weekend. Metro's budget proposal for the next fiscal year, effective July 1st, 2017. And the timing really couldn't be worse for Metro as it shuts down its busiest, oldest line, affecting 100,000 riders a day. Metro General Manager Paul Wiedefeld is proposing fare hikes, bus and rail, service cuts, possible elimination of 14 bus routes, Longer wait times for trains, even during rush hour. Eight minutes potentially on the red line, on the fringes of the red line system, east and west. Higher train frequencies in the core, but still not what people are used to. The post-safe track world is not looking good right now if you view it through the lens of this budget proposal. But the final word will be from the Metro Board of Directors. They have to approve the budget. They will do so next year after weeks and months of deliberations. So look at the budget proposal that no one is going to like from the general manager as a series of recommendations that the jurisdictions can change. So we'll go deeper on the budget next week on the podcast. This week, well, hear that train arriving? It's going to unload a whole bunch of people who are going to scramble down an escalator seeking out the Green Line transfer to downtown. But we are going to hop a shuttle, a bus bridge, and try to get to Noma Gallaudet before Christmas. Let's go. Um, what's your name, Miss? Aparna. How long, let me ask, how long have you been riding Metro for? I just moved to DC three months ago, so I take it every day. So. Metro has been asking folks to stay away from the trains during these shutdowns, but uh, not everyone can do that. Why are you here? Because I need to take the train to work. <laughs> I don't have a car. Metro is thinking about raising fares and cutting service because they have a huge budget deficit. So you'd be paying more to take your red line every day and the trains would come less frequently. I imagine that's something that doesn't sit well with you. No, I think that would probably piss most people off. <laughs> Are we allowed to say piss people off on the podcast? I think that would irritate a lot of people. It would make life more difficult. What about you? Would you quit Metro? Some people have. Um, it depends on how much more it goes up. I think the Metro is already 
quite expensive here in DC um, compared to Philadelphia and Boston where I used to live. I think also like rental prices in DC are extremely high, especially for young people. So I think maintaining a car as well um, is an additional burden. So if you're paying for car insurance and like a loan payment and you're in debt from school and you're trying to pay rent, taking the Metro is a good alternative. So even if it's a little bit more expensive, it's better than trying to, you know, take care, manage a car payment with a car insurance. We've been on this bus bridge for 22 minutes now. We finally made it to Brooklyn. Now we're on our way to uh, Rhode Island Avenue. It's been slow going and uh, lucky enough to run into a couple of people who are also not on the same boat, on the same bus bridge. Thomas Johnson and Rachel Kincaid, welcome to uh, the Red Line shutdown. <laughs> How are you guys doing this morning? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. A little unexpected, but uh, you know, we're rolling with it. Yeah, just an <laughs> extra little adventure this morning. <laughs> on your first day of work, is that correct? That's correct for both of us, yes. Yeah. So what about this situation? <laughs> um, well, when we saw on, what, Friday? Yeah. That the Metro was going to be closed for our first month of work, we were a little disappointed. But, but we talked about taking an Uber to work every day <laughs> for the first month. A little expensive. Yeah, but we decided that we'd give the shuttle a shot. Yeah, it, it's our backup tomorrow if we don't make it on time today, <laughs> yeah. I think. Yeah. No, we picked our apartments because they were right by the Brooklyn Metro Station. Great timing, let me tell you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's okay. Mm -hmm. uh, my name is Rashad Scriven. Are you on your way to school? No, I'm on my way to work. Work? Okay, so how's this working out for you? Uh, so it's not working, really working out for me like that. Um, with the, you know what I'm saying, the going on the buses and everything like that and the trains messing up and everything like that. So um, I think they need to really fix it and do something about it. Are you going to be late? Um, I hope I won't be, but um, it might make me a little late. But I mean, I'm, my supervisor should, you know, understand that you know Metro has a big problem right now, and uh, just blame it on Metro. Got to blame it on Metro. Got to blame it on somebody. You know, it's being late. One hour, finally, we've made it to Noma Gallaudet Station, thanks to the profoundly awful bus bridges that took us from Fort Totten to here. There are no direct routes. There are no bus lanes connecting all these metro rail stations. So the shuttles that make up the so-called bus bridge are zigzagging in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic through residential neighborhoods. Totally inefficient. We might have walked faster. I don't know if that's for sure, but would have been close. Would have been close. All right. Back to the train, back to the red line final verdict about uh, this first weekday morning of surge number 10. Trains are better than buses. So as I catch my breath standing on the platform, I look down onto these old tracks. The station is on the new side, but the tracks are not. And in between the running rail, the trench is filled with water, debris, and garbage. And to the far side, a sign that says danger, 750 volts. That's on an old, musty, dusty coverboard. And underneath it, I see the third rail 
every 10 feet or so, what we call insulators, keeping the electricity where it's supposed to be. When we continue on the Metropocalypse podcast, we'll explore how Metro Rail's electricity system works. That's next. Hi, it's Diane. The next meeting of my book club is on Wednesday, May 31st at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'll host a discussion of Mad Honey by Jody Pico and Jennifer Finney Boylan, followed by a conversation with the authors. Find out more and register at dianereem.org slash book club. As we continue on Metropocalypse on this Halloween, picture Frankenstein's monster, lifeless, laying on a table in the mad scientist's lab. The bones, tendons, ligaments, muscles, and brain are ready for life as soon as Dr. Frankenstein can pump his creation full of electricity. In a way, Metro Rail is the monster, lifeless without volts. All through SafeTrack, we've been talking about Metro's skeleton, the things you can see. Rails, ties, fasteners, cars, you name it. Today, we're focusing on what you can't see, but it is the most important element of Metro's makeup. Power. Electrical power. Think of these challenges. Generating enough power to move all those trains every day. Distributing electricity over 117 miles of track. Some exposed to the outdoors, some in tunnels exposed to water, trash, and debris. And how to be sure those 750 volts traveling through the third rail don't cause trouble, like fires and explosions, the kind of incident that took place on January 12, 2015, the day Carol Glover died aboard a smoky train at LaFont Plaza. Kevin Heaslip is a professor of civil and environmental engineering at Virginia Tech University. We talk about a new report by Metro, a comprehensive analysis of its long-standing electrical issues. But first, let's listen to just how much power Metro needs. So Metro uses 550,000 megawatts of power per year. And to put that into perspective, a normal uh, household uses about 11 megawatts of power. Now, the power that goes through that third rail at any one time is 750 volts, about four or five times as much as you would normally see in in any um application in your house. So it, it requires a huge amount of power. Um, they actually have over 100 substations just devoted to powering the trains alone. So there's a huge infrastructure and a huge amount of power that goes through the system. And it's hard to get your mind wrapped around it when you're in the system because you don't see the electricity and you're protected from it. And that effort, keeping that electricity contained where it's supposed to be, is a difficult one that Metro doesn't always get right. Well, the insulators are the big uh, reason why you're protected from them. The third rail infrastructure is is protected from the other conducting metal, whether it be the tracks or anything else that's on uh, in in the in the area where the trains are coming. Those insulators make sure that the power stays where it's supposed to be and not doesn't jump to other places. Now, when we have this arcing situation, it means that the power is jumping from a place where we want it to a place where we don't want it. Everybody knows the term arcing insulator is in the Washington region by now. Well, and and we've seen it. We've seen the um, we've seen the videos of of the explosions. We've seen 
on our normal everyday commute, there's lots of arcing that happens. There, whenever you see a spark coming out, whether you're driving down I-66 or if you're in the tunnel uh, on the train and you see it light up a little bit, that's an arc. A lot of times this happens and it's a, it's not a bad situation. It's just something that happens. A little bit of current goes awry. But so, what, so what happens when it becomes a serious issue? Because as you mentioned, arcing does happen quite a bit. So these insulators, they get dirt baked on, they get uh, all sorts of debris that hits it. And when they're out in the open, they have the weather to contend with. And these insulators start breaking down. And when the insulators start breaking down, that's when the power can start jumping from place to place in erratic uh, areas. And when that happens, then you have the the possibility of fires, you have the possibility of explosions, and that's what we really don't want to see. WMATA spends a lot of time rehabilitating these insulators, uh, cleaning these insulators, but there's so many of them there. Every 10 feet on the system, there's 190,000 of them, and it's a very labor-intensive process. 190,000? Third rail insulators. That's correct, 190,000. So when folks hear, and I've reported this, that Metro has failed to properly clean the insulators, they didn't really have a program that they stuck to, they need to do that. But it, it is difficult. I think some folks sometimes lose sight of the fact of how hard it is to maintain this gigantic system. Well, in the four-hour stretch, a lot of times they can only replace a complete replacement of 16 insulators. 16 in how much time? In four hours. My goodness. That's labor intensive. That's labor intensive. These things are baked on. You have the power that's running through it. All of these things, the power needs to be shut off. The The bolts get melted down. These things have to be extracted from, from the rail and then a new one put on. It's a very labor intensive process. Even cleaning them are, is a very labor intensive process because you have the outward facing but you also have the inward facing, which butts the platforms, which there's very little space to actually get in and clean these things correctly. So it's a very difficult process. And there's actually been a lot of research done by the Transit Cooperative Research Program on trying to clean these insulators because it's such a tough challenge. So Metro has cables everywhere to keep electricity flowing where there are gaps in the third rails, cables for a whole variety of other reasons. Mm. And they had trouble keeping them clean, uh, keeping them off the ground where they, they do get dirty and are exposed to water. And they also had an issue where they weren't assembled correctly with the boot connection. Yeah. Uh, we even see, saw these assemblies put together at a Metro board meeting once, what it's supposed to look like. And that allowed for debris and water to get in was a potential cause of the LaFont Plaza disaster back in January of 2015. And when folks hear about this, they're scratching their heads saying, well, shouldn't Metro know how to assemble these boots and cables correctly? Yeah, it's a, it's a very... And they have, since that incident, gone back and done them all correctly. But some folks are wondering, why not the first time? Well, it, it's certainly something that, that it does leave you scratching your head. Because whenever you have um, tunnels, you think that, well, these the these are watertight, that you shouldn't have these problems, and you may think that you can get away with it. 
But um, a lot of Metro documents have seen that there's a lot of water infiltration in the tunnels, if you're looking up on the red line. And you see in, in the stations a lot of times that water has got in. And if you don't have these assemblies done correctly, that opens up a big problem for these type of disasters. So, uh, yeah, it does leave you scr scratching your head. And, and hopefully that they've uh, worked with their contractors, worked with their maintenance staff to have the right training in order to not have these things happen. And I think the important thing is that when these things are not put together correctly, it can lead to disasters, it can lead to safety issues, and it can lead to, unfortunately, loss of life. And that's the, that is the big thing. And a lot of people think about, you know, a transit agency and they say, well, you know, this is not a life or death situation, but if it's not done correctly, it can be. Let's go back to last year and the stadium armory fire, where the loss of a substation there when a, um, a transformer burned down really caused problems. The orange line couldn't run. You know, the orange, silver, and blue lines had to go so slowly through that area of the system because there simply wasn't enough power to move the trains. Well, these sort of things, and, and a lot of my research is in uh, resiliency, and a lot of times we want to have redundancy in our systems in order to build resilience in, the, in our networks. And what we saw in the stadium armory fire and loss of that um, substation is that there's not a lot of excess capacity in the power system. So the power that's being used is all is they're using as much as they can. And if you lose that, all of a sudden you don't have enough power to move the trains at a high speed through that area. And you saw that the trains could only go about 15 miles an hour when passing through the stadium armory area during that incident and the rebuilding of it. So the, que the question is, is how can you build more redundancy into the system? Can Metro do that? Do they have the space for and it? And they have to do it because the goal of 2020 to have all eight-car trains. 2025 now, but I didn't want to bring up the – I wanted to bring up the eight-car trains <laughs> yeah. next, so let's talk about so, it. So you need more power in the system, and it shows that you can't run all eight-car trains right now because the power is not there to do it. So they have to build more power. And when they're building power, it would be wise for them to build extra power in. Now, if you go back and look at the documents, they built the system for six-car trains because the demand wasn't there in the 70s. And you look at how the system has grown and a lot more demands, they need the eight-car trains. The The stations are built for eight-car trains. And the platforms are long enough. Yes. And, and you're right. They used to have two-car trains, mm -hmm. from what I've been told, and they were running even four-car trains in the 1990s. We have talked about eight-car trains a lot on this uh, podcast, Kevin, and that's what everyone wants. Mm -hmm. But that's a discussion that's not only about getting the right amount of rail cars on the property. It is about the traction power system. Right now, Metro has enough traction power to run you know, 50% on the red line in rush hour and then 33% on all the other lines. You know, So a system-wide ratio that's not even close to 100%. What percentage of eight-car trains do you know could Metro run now if it maxed out its traction power capacity? If you don't know, that's fine. I don't know either. I don't know either. <laughs> and, and this is the tough thing because when you look at um, Metro's documents, it's all we just need to upgrade the power. We just need to upgrade yeah, the power. Like There's not a lot of details being uh, talked about in their documents of 
how much power they actually need. But we can infer from what we see in the system is that they're maxing out what they're doing right now. They, if they would, if they could put more eight-car trains out, they would. And a lot of times, this is not just a car issue. This is a power issue. And the goal now for all eight-car trains, if everything falls together the right way, is 2025 to get the necessary rail cars, the power situation straightened out, and the rail yard space. You know, these new cars have to go somewhere. You just don't leave them on the tracks at night. Yeah, it's, you know, and this is going back to the point, it's things that we don't see. You know, we see the cars, but we don't see the rail yards for the most part. We don't see the electricity. And those things are just as important as the cars. You know, it's great having the cars, but if you don't have a place to put them and you don't have the power to move them, then those cars don't really do you any good. And in this report that just came out, uh, Metro trying to get to the bottom of their electrical problems, attraction power system, it was a pretty comprehensive investigation of about two dozen incidents that happened going back to March when the whole system had to be shut down because there was a fire at McPherson Square. This investigation found that Metro may have miscalculated on how just the current number of eight-car trains are stressing secondary power cables. You know, to my amateur mind, I think of the third rail, and that's it. I don't think of all the other things that come into play. But Metro's supposed to know that. They're the ones running the system. Yeah, if, and if you think about it, all these cables are, are the lifeline of the third rail. If the cables aren't working, then the power's not being distributed to the third rail, and it's, it's not working. Now, if you, if you take a look at some of the pictures that we saw from Metro during the shutdown, you saw that frayed cable, oh, you know, and, yes. Very you know, if you think about your iPhone, right, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and, and if you have a frayed cable, then all of a sudden your, your cable doesn't work and your phone doesn't get charged. The same thing happens for, um, for Metro, but the only problem is that you, when you have so much electricity going through those frayed cables, it really becomes a safety issue as well. And that's it for episode 21 of Metropocalypse. I hope you ghouls and goblins escape the dungeon known as the Red Line this week. Next week, we go deep on Metro's budget proposal, higher fares, less service, and a whole lot of political pushback. Metropocalypse is produced and edited by Brendan Sweeney with Joe Warminski. Andy McDaniel is WAMU's Director of Content. Please join our Metropocalypse Facebook group and participate in the discussion. Until next week, I'm Martin DeCallo.